Look, a few years ago when I used to fill in a uh, regular basis for Frank Beckman, I had the, the pleasure of having my, my youngest brother, Tim Alberta, come on, who was at the time the chief political correspondent for Politico, knows the GOP front and back and left and right, and has written some of the most authoritative profile pieces. And we used to, I, I used to would say, this is my brotherly love segment. And Frank would say, you need to call that sibling rivalry. And so now in this edition of Sibling Rivalry, I'm, I'm happy to report that Tim Alberta, staff writer for The Atlantic, joins us to, to fill me in on a couple things that I want to pick his brain on. Little brother, how are you? Boy, such hostility off the bat. I, I like brotherly love a little bit more, I got to say. Okay. Well, let's just, let's be loving today. I want to hit you with two items. Uh, one, I know that you're a little bit limited on. The first of which is you wrote a piece in June of 2022 how politics poisoned the evangelical church. It was a very long-winded piece. It was important, especially to people in the faith-based community. And and now as we get into the caucus season with, with Trump poised to run again, I know you have a book coming out on this this winter and you're under embargo, so there's maybe certain things you can't say. What has been the attitude in the evangelical church setting over Trump now with the more current indictments far past the election you know, fraud season and everything that went down. What does it look like? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've been riding a bit of a roller coaster here uh, regarding Trump's support from the Republican base more broadly, but even specific to his white evangelical supporters who have really been since his election in, in the fall of 2016, his most loyal block of supporters, just statistically speaking, if you're looking at polling over the last you know, five, six years, what we're looking at now is a, a pretty interesting situation in which, you know, in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of the 2022 midterms, when Trump kind of threw pro-lifers under the bus and had sort of created some distance deliberately from the evangelical movement, uh, you really saw his numbers decline in a way that gave a real opening to the Ron DeSantis's and the Nikki Haley's and the Tim Scott's, even the Mike Pence's of the world who looked around and said, hey, you know, this is a clear indicator, perhaps the first real indicator we have of the president's support getting soft among this core constituency that, that plays such an outsized role in the presidential primary process. But what we saw, Chris, just a few months after that was when Alvin Bragg uh, delivered that first set of indictments in Manhattan in the springtime, suddenly we saw uh, a, a hockey stick uh, in, the, in the polling. We saw almost overnight, and the you know, correlation is not always causation, but in, in this case, it certainly was. And what we saw was a pretty sharp rebound in Trump's numbers among those same voters. And then what we've seen in the six months or so since is just a continuation of that trend to the point now where Trump's support among self-identified white evangelical conservatives is every bit as strong or perhaps even stronger than it was when he left office. And so yeah. if you're one of his rivals for the Republican nomination at this point, you're in a tough spot because unless you can peel away some significant chunk of those voters, there's really no pathway to victory. Well, I'm tempted to ask you, you know, as, as a, a semi-betting uh, politics guy, which, uh, you know, which opponent you think that is but let's let's focus on nikki haley when you wrote your profile piece still a politico on nikki haley it was a manifesto on her and i found myself reading it on, on one hand wanting to give her a high five and then a hug and then other times wanting to kick her off the porch and think i could never vote for this person it was a wild ride through her mind and she was incredibly vulnerable in some of those interviews she did with you and that you know in the in the inner circle 
we're being told you might have ruined her chance to run. It really was kind of a, a stark look at her. But now she's kind of bursting out in the polls in a relative sense anyway. What does that picture look like? Does she stand a chance at all or is this a you know flash in the pan? Well, look, I mean, here's the thing. We see this in every campaign, every four years, Republican, Democrat. Um, you're going to have a, a candidate, maybe two candidates, who really have a moment where they sort of break out of the pack. Um, and, and this is the moment now that Haley is having. Now, I think the caution I would, I would uh, urge is, you know, is, is Haley having this moment because she has done something really spectacular to really differentiate herself from the field? Or is she having a moment because so many of her rivals are just really underwhelming and running bad campaigns and doing very little to distinguish themselves? I think I might argue at this point that it's more of the latter. Um, look, Haley cuts a really interesting figure in today's Republican Party. And, and I think that she is, at least for the donor class who are desperate to rally around an alternative to Trump, she is, I think, far and away the most palatable choice. Uh, I think a lot of them have soured on Ron DeSantis. They've seen that he's just not running a good campaign. He's personally just not a very likable guy. They like Chris Christie, but don't think he can win. They like Tim Scott, but don't think he can win. So they, they look, you know, Mike Pence dropped out of the race because he had almost no support. So they look around and they say, well, you know, if we're going to have any chance of beating this guy and elevating one candidate to, to run sort of mano y mano and force a binary choice on, on primary voters, then maybe Nikki Haley is that person. Uh, but unless the rest of the field, Chris, continues to winnow uh, in a really rapid clip here, I think it's going to be tough for anybody to get that sort of one-on-one -on -one shot against Trump. Uh, and even if it's Haley, there's nothing in the polling to suggest that Haley could beat Trump. I mean, for example, we, we've seen a couple of polls just in the last week that show that if DeSantis were to drop out of the race, then most of DeSantis' supporters say, they tell pollsters, that their second choice is Trump. So they wouldn't go from DeSantis to Haley. They would actually go from DeSantis to Trump. Does Haley's experience at the U.N. and being a real, she, you know, she's been kind of a soldier of many internationally. Does anything that's happening in Israel or Ukraine actually bump her subtly behind the scenes because she seems to have good international experience when it comes to this? It's a great question, and, and that's certainly the case that her campaign is making, uh, and I think they're making it effectively to donors. Now, do they make it effectively to voters? We're going to find out. I mean, look, this is, you know, as George Will wrote in the Washington Post, uh, you, you could make the case this is the, the uh, most dangerous moment geopolitically uh, since the end of World War II, uh, and, and you've got all sorts of threats, symmetrical and asymmetrical, around mm. the globe right now, and that, you know, the U.S. needs somebody with an experienced hand uh, in, in foreign policy. And Haley can make that case better than anybody else on that stage. So that's what she's going to try to lean into. But the question is, again, will enough of her rivals take the path that Mike Pence has taken and, and, and bow wow in attempts to coalesce support among one candidate? If that doesn't happen, Chris, I don't really know that it matters what's happening around the world because the numbers just don't add up. So if you were betting right now, you think we see another Trump v. Biden? It's look, I mean, you know, I, I dropped a long piece last week about this guy, Dean Phillips, the Minnesota congressman who's decided to run against Biden in the Democratic primary. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think that he has much of a chance, although, look, stranger things have happened. Uh, but but look, at the end of the day, if you just run all the models on this, it is very difficult to see anything other than a Biden Trump matchup. 
you know, save for some act of God. I mean, the, listen, listen, you would look at the actuarial tables. This is your industry, not mine. But these these guys, uh, you know, if either one of them dropped dead tomorrow, we wouldn't be shocked. So save for some sort of intervening event like that. I think that we are probably looking at another Trump-Biden matchup. Yeah, there's staircases everywhere. You never know. Yeah, that's right. Listen, little brother, I love you. Thanks for your expertise. We'll talk to you again soon. Dave Rieger, I know we had a lot of texts come in that we couldn't get to. The social media conversation was was fascinating. It really did light everybody up for a little bit. And that conversation about, you know, Trump in the in the, the evangelical demographic is fascinating, too, because the fact that he could be in so much trouble across the board, whether that trouble is real, whether that trouble is propagated by kind of you know, the weaponized attacks legally against him or not, it just seems surprising to me that people of quote unquote faith would be rallying um, to help Trump out right now. I don't think that's ever going to go away. I'm going to ask Ren- Renwick what he thinks about that too. His popularity is, um, it seems to just pierce through everything. Tef- Teflon Don, as they say. 100%. All right, back in a few minutes, we'll talk to Renwick and see what he's got on tap for everybody. 